without any further ado, let me go ahead and pray as we get started. Father, thank you for your amazing grace as it works in and through our lives. And Father, even as we look at this scene tonight, it's like there's this group of individuals and it's just a sparse handful of people, yet they get to experience something so wonderful, so glorious, so transcendent. And it could be said, oh my gosh, all of that was wasted on just a handful of people. Thank you, Lord, that whether we are many or, or we are few, um, we praise you because you're not impressed by a crowd and neither should we be. And um, I'm encouraged because there are only a couple of us, Lord. It doesn't mean that you're going to be here any less by your spirit and by your power and your grace. And for that, I say thank you. Um, please meet with us, Lord, in a special way, even tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Notice I said tonight, I'm not going to do what Judith did. She, said, she greeted me, she said, morning, Rob. <laughs> well, I suppose it will be morning, especially if I don't hurry up right. Amen. So we've been taking the past few weeks, and even tonight and tomorrow, Pastor E will be doing a last one in our little mini-series called The One True Story. And <clears throat> um, tonight... I'm particularly going to be taking a portion from, I mean, am I too loud? Am I okay? Um, too loud? Oh, I'm all right. Okay. Amen. I'll leave it to the guys. Stop fasting and interfering, Pastor Rob. Um, I'm, I'm looking at a little portion from chapter 11. Two things really blessed me this week. This chapter, chapter 11 in this book, if you guys have been reading through. Um, and, and then also I heard a message by an organization called um, Christian Concern. They send me emails. Maybe some of you guys get emails from them. They talk about persecuted Christians and different things in the Christian community, local and abroad. And, you know, there were a couple of messages that I listened to that were such a blessing, so rich in their blessing. And um, I'm going to be sharing a little bit from that and from this ch 11th chapter as well. So um, at, 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 at our topic tonight is the unexpected presence of God. And it's actually a section of Pastor E. Come on, like you was reading my notes, bro. Oh, my goodness. Boy, man's walking in the spirit, you know. Jeez. You know what I mean? Hovering six inches above the ground, gliding. <laughs> Pastor E got a halo around his new era. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, Lucha, I don't need to read the text because Pastor E already read it. And um, <clears throat> up to this point, the coming of Christ as king has begun to turn the world upside down. Now, literally, visibly, it, it can't be seen at this point. But in a spiritual sense, oh my gosh, like what is happening now is actually groundbreaking. This is now the culmination of everything that's happened in the Old Testament. Looking forward to the coming of this great king. His name is Jesus. <clears throat> Um, and, and who would have imagined that this little baby would have such incredible impact? And it's important to note three things just initially. <clears throat> First of all, God has, has revealed himself, right? The unexpected presence of God. God has, has already revealed himself to a most unusual group, culturally speaking. We talked about it on Sunday. Um, not just to the Jews... He has done, but also we've seen to the to the magi or the magi or the wise men. Remember, who are 
astrologers. And I'm saying they're probably Gentiles who came from the East, right? So that's the first group, a real culturally unusual happening. Second is the political leaders, the political leaders, Quirinius, governor of Syria, King Herod, and Caesar Augustus, completely bypassed, (laughs) even though these guys are high and lofty and elevated, you know what I'm saying? And in the third group, now we will see, which is going to be our text, God completely bypassed now the religious leaders, you know what I'm saying? So culturally and um, politically and now religiously, you know what I'm saying, we've seen these dynamics. And these religious leaders who were the priests, they are at the temple, if you like, at this point, performing their religious ceremonies. And you can see them there in the temple. They've got the sacrifices. And um, they're there in their regalia and all their, you know what I'm saying, Jesus would talk about the fact that they love to wear these flowing robes and they'd pray long and they'd like to be seen by the people. So they're performing their religious rites, you know what I'm saying, in the temple, thinking to themselves that this in the temple is where God is. And God isn't there. He's in a very unexpected place, revealing himself in a wonderful way to a very unusual group. I'm going to do what I don't normally do. I'm actually going to put the text up when I ask you to look at the text, right? But I'm going to try and do all the work for you today, tonight. And um, in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, a place that is quite commonly spoken about today, same place. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. In this, we see the sovereignty of God. You've got Caesar Augustus making the declaration, the decree. Quirinius is the governor. You know what I'm saying? It seems like they are the ones who are in control. But ultimately, God is in control. Remember, the prophecy says that the Messiah must be born where? In Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. We'll look at it in a minute. Now, this is unusual because it's not Jerusalem. Bethlehem is actually 6.2 miles south of Jerusalem. It's not in the place that you would anticipate, you know what I'm saying, or at least the religious leaders would anticipate. So you've got these political leaders now, they're making these decisions, you know what I'm saying, but at the end of the day, God is the one who's in control. You know what I'm saying? They think that they're pulling the strings, but actually God is the one who's sovereignly. And Mary and Joseph also, as a result, they leave Galilee, which is, It's a bit like leaving Manchester and coming to London. You know what I'm saying? You know you go up to London even though you go south. You know what I'm saying? You go up to Jerusalem or you go up to at least um, Judea and that particular part of the land. Even though you're coming from north, you're going south. You're actually going up in terms of gradient up to Zion. Remember, it was was on a hill. And it's funny because Jesus says, you are now the church. You are a city set on a hill. And I'm saying in Revelation it talks about the church being the new Jerusalem. Anyway, I digress. So, <clears throat> so Mary and Joseph also sovereignly making this move, as it were, transitioning in their minds because of this big decree that's gone forth. Um, verse 4 says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee. See, up from north Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea in the south, to the city of David, 
which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and a lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And what a time to have to travel, you know what I'm saying? And incidentally, Mary and Joseph are not married yet, right? <laughs> they're betrothed, it says, or they're engaged, you know what I mean? And they've, they've not had any, um, they've not enjoyed the benefit of conjugal rights, you know what I'm saying? They've not got physical at this point. And um, we just have to remind ourselves that Joseph isn't Jesus' dad, right? You know what I mean? Um, but <clears throat> he's his stepdad, and we need more men like Joseph. I think I've mentioned this before, and I always take opportunity when it comes up in the text to, to re-emphasize it. We need more men like Joseph willing to marry ladies with children, ladies with children who have no dads. Joseph is a great example. And she's pregnant and imagine them having to travel. You know what I'm saying? There's no virgin trains, right? Uh, my son come down from Manchester. Uh, you can tell I'm excited about my son being home. You know what I mean? Um, he comes down from Manchester. It's two hours on the train from Manchester. Did you know that? And when they put in the HS2, it will be an hour. Sometimes it takes me an hour, 20 minutes to get to central London from Sydenham. You'll be able to get from Manchester to London when they eventually build it. You know what I'm saying? But no virgin. And there's no Starbucks stops along the way for Mary and Joseph. You know what I'm saying? It's a tough journey. Verse 6, it says, And while they were there, that is when they eventually arrived, right? Um, the time came for her to give birth. Oh my gosh. Have you ever seen one born every minute? All that bawling and screaming. You know what I mean? Um, there ain't no Lewisham Hospital here. <laughs> You know what I mean? Ain't no anesthetic, no epidural, no gas and air. <laughs> Verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the Holiday Inn. Now get the picture. Like Pastor E says, they're in an animal shed. You know what I'm saying? And two things about this, apart from the humans, um, who we'll come to in a minute, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are surrounded by animals. Now, what type of animals are they surrounded by? Donkeys, anybody else? Chickens, maybe, cows. But in terms of what we understand from the text, sheep, right? Sheep. <clears throat> These sheep, this so blessed me this week. Wow. And, it, and it's funny because it wasn't even what I was listening to. As I was meditating on it, Lord, I felt like the Lord just dropped it into my heart. You know when you get them moments? And I was like, ooh. I was like, sometimes you see some of that stuff like on stage and people kind of shaking and vibrating and that. I tell you, when it dropped, I was like, ooh. I got past the eat. I got touched. Honest. And I, you know you're just relishing them ones for a minute. You're just like, oi. Oh. Now, maybe this, and maybe, hallelujah, maybe, maybe I hyped it, it ain't going to touch you like it touched me, but. <laughs> These sheep, apart from being reared to provide wool and meat, right? Yeah, somebody just said it. Do you know why else they were being reared? They were being reared for sacrifice. <coughs> And these are possibly, probably, the sacrificial 
lambs, they were the temple supply chain. You know what I'm saying? It's, and and um, isn't it amazing that Jesus, albeit a baby, would grow up to become the most important sheep that ever existed? You know what I'm saying? What would, amen, what would John the Baptist call baby Jesus when he becomes an adult? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of those animals were getting ready for, to be slaughtered because in the temple um, sacrificial system, you know, that is what God had instituted. I mean, it was the lamb at the Passover that they killed and put the blood on the doorposts. And I've always, already, already always mentioned that the, the doorposts, if you like, are in a form of a cross because you've got blood here. You've got blood on the top, blood on the side in the shape of a cross. You know what I'm saying? The blood of the lamb. And <clears throat> As I mentioned it earlier, the priests are in the temple sacrificing lambs and they did it twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening, sacrificing these lambs and... Yet here is, in this smelly cattle shed, is the lamb that those other lambs typified. He is the lamb among lambs. Right from his birth, he's identified with the sheep that were to be sacrificed. Isaiah, classic, Isaiah 53, verse 6 and 7 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. It's funny, isn't it? He's the only sheep that didn't go astray. But all we like sheep go astray. And we have turned everyone to, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is the sheep that didn't go astray, laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. You know, my, my, my stepdad would never eat lamb. And I never understood it. You know what I'm saying? And my mom told me one day, the reason my stepdad don't eat lamb is because if you see a lamb slaughtered, it, 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 it may possibly trouble you. Because they don't fight, they don't kick. They're not like pigs. When you kill pig, it's they're squealing and, and they're kicking and they're trying to get away, not lambs. And it's really funny, isn't it? He was oppressed, verse 7, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. You notice, you don't drive a lamb, you just lead it. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Wow. Can you see God revealing himself in an incredible way at this particular moment in time and history? And yet so many missed it. There were only a handful of people there. Are you aware of the lamb this Christmas? Because many, many aren't. It's a privilege to be aware of these things, to have these things revealed. So that's the first thing in relation to this scene, right? The animals. The second thing is the shepherds, the blue-collar workers, the, the working class. Not the elite, but the bottom of the rung, socially speaking. The complete opposite end of the spectrum compared to Quirinius and Herod and Caesar Augustus. Remember who Caesar is? The complete opposite. Complete opposite to the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests. Those who are at the top of the social ladder. Shepherds. You know, they were ritually unclean. They couldn't come near the temple, let alone serve in it. And remember the Holy of Holies, which was in the, it was the most, it was the most sanctified section of the temple, right? 
even the priests, well, not even the priests, the priests could go into the holy place, but the holy of holy was reserved for the, for the high priest, and that only once a year, and that not without blood. You know what I'm saying? It was a really scary place to be. That's why they tied a rope around the high priest's ankle, because if he went in there in the wrong f- fashion, he'd die, because behind that veil was the glory of God. And he, who's going to go in there and get him out? No one ain't going to go get him. They pull him out by the rope. You know what I'm saying? Scary place, because if you like, God was revealed in that particular portion of the temple. And the fun, it's funny because the Bible talks about his glory or, or the Shekinah glory of God. You know what I'm saying? Um, originally in the Garden of Eden, right, when God literally walked with man, this, some have suggested that when Adam and Eve sinned, remember they saw that they were naked. Some have suggested, I can't prove it from the text, but some have suggested that it was the glory of God, you know what I'm saying, that they enjoyed that prevented them from seeing their nakedness maybe in one way. And, and, and then Romans says that all we, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, you know what I'm saying? In one sense, we've fallen short of God's perfect standard. But could it be that in another sense, there's something that we've lost that we no longer get the opportunity to enjoy, that when God is apparent, when God is near, when God is close, there's something else that's experienced, and it's not just intangible. You know what I'm saying? It's something that's possibly visible. And what we're seeing, you know what I'm saying, with reference, and we see it, don't we? So talk about the Garden of Eden. When we did this whole transition, didn't we, from the Garden of Eden, the Tabernacle, the Temple on Sunday. But originally, if you like, um, that glory was apparent at the tabernacle, wasn't it? It was a, it was a, it was a pillar of, 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 of cloud by day, visible. And it was a pillar of fire by night. I should have got the picture up. There's a classic picture of the, 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 the tabernacle, you know what I'm saying? And the, nation, and, 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 and the nation of Israel surrounding the tabernacle, you know what I mean? And this, and, and this pillar of fire. You remember the picture, Parson? And um, it's beautiful because it says that the, the nation of Israel was surrounded, around, the, the, the tabernacle was in the center of the people of God. And the way they, 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 they were, they, they were um, situated around the tabernacle was you had three tribes to the east, three tribes to the north, three tribes to the east, and three tribes to the west. And the thing is, when you look at the tribes, they're different sizes. And I'm not joking. You can check it for yourself. But when you look at it, one particular tribe is, is kind of like a small tribe, where on the opposite side is a much bigger tribe. And then on the other side, you've got a kind of smaller tribe and a smaller tribe. If you went up in a drone and you looked down, like with a GoPro, I don't know, and looked down, you know what you saw? You saw the shape of a cross. And right in the center was the Lord God Almighty, present with his people, and then you move from the tabernacle and you come into the great temple of Solomon. And when Solomon dedicates the temple, it says the glory of the Lord descended to the degree that it was literally tangible. The priest couldn't even stand up to minister. Such was God's presence, you know what I'm saying, even in an unexpected fashion, you know what I'm saying, on that day. And sadly, it says, when that temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the children of Israel went into Babylonian captivity, at least Judah, um, when, they, when, when the, the temple was destroyed, 
and they came back. And there, there, there isn't any references after Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple. There's no references or record of the glory returning. Verse 8 says, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. What an event. And in the same region, now remember, we're talking about Bethlehem, but this is not in Bethlehem, and we'll see in a minute. It's just outside of Bethlehem, but it's in the same, no, it's in the same region. There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. It's funny, isn't it? Because this is the birth of Jesus, and it's darkness, but yet here's this amazing light, the glory of God. Right? For this handful of people, you know. Ah! It's beautiful. That pastor, he said, look, not five-star hotel. You know what I mean? Not the palms in, where is it? Is it UAE? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? And here's the glory of God, and it's night, and it's bright. But when Jesus dies on the cross, it's daytime, but it's dark. Darkness covers the whole earth. I love these beautiful pictures that are painted that we can often, very often miss. And they were watching their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And look, the glory of the Lord shone around. It was, it was visible. It shone around them. And, and, and notice, it says they were filled with fear. And who wouldn't be? Now notice, this is not in Jerusalem. right? It's in the region of Bethlehem. It's not to the elite, but to the marginalized, to the sideline, to the side men. It's not in the temple, but it's possibly in a shed. You know what I'm saying? Possibly, you know what I'm saying, underground. Possibly in a field. Muddy field. God chooses to reveal himself, his glory, to an unexpected group. In an unexpected way. And how did the shepherds respond? At the end of verse 9, as I mentioned, it says they were filled with fear. And we see the same thing reiterated um, in verse 10. Notice, although the presence, the power, and the glory of God is in a different place, it's not in the temple now, right? The fear of God was just as apparent. Just like it was for the priests in times past. See? See, God is the same, isn't he? Yesterday, today, and forever. Wherever. You know what I mean? And, and it's healthy to have a... It's like, okay, God's revealing himself in a different way. Yeah, but, but be, be careful. You know what I'm saying? He's still holy. You know what I mean? And, but, but along with a healthy fear, look what else is experienced by these shepherds. Verse 10. And here's the gospel. It's so beautiful. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. <laughs> Angels always having to say that. Because they're terrified, right? And they're trembling. Fear not, for behold, I bring you not bad news, good news. And that's the word, that's, that's the word gospel. I bring you good news of a, of a great joy that will be for all people. I mean, any Jews in the house, in the room? You know what I'm saying? For all people, we get to enjoy this very same message, this very good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the anointed Lord. 
At long last, here comes the promised Messiah, the one that Israel had been waiting for since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The pastor, he'd done it a couple of weeks ago, the serpent crusher. Remember when God cursed Adam and he cursed Eve and he cursed a serpent in the garden? Then God says to the devil, to the serpent, to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, notice, and between your offspring and her offspring. Another translation says her seed. How many of you know the woman doesn't have the seed? Who has the seed? The man has the seed. But there's this woman coming who's going to have seed. How's she going to get it? Mary, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And that which will be conceived in you will be the Son of God. Here you have a woman with seed. And no impregnation under normal circumstances. It's a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. And notice, he, that is her offspring, singular. He shall bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a picture of the cross. Jesus dying on the cross, having his heel, as it were, bruised by the serpent. Jesus says, this is the hour of darkness. And I mean, but how many of you know, in that moment of his quote-unquote weakness, he was actually crushing the head of the serpent, you know what I'm saying, and overcoming the prince of darkness, you know what I'm saying, in that very same moment. And it's a fulfillment of Jesus. He is the one that Israel had been waiting for. I don't have the opportunity all the time now to paint you the picture and show you But do you remember John the Baptist said to him, are you the one or shall we look for another? See, that was the anticipation. They were waiting for someone. And there's loads of verses to support that. But at long last, 4,000 years later, here is the the promise of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 that we hear very often at Christmas time and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and it's a special son. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called. Who wants the government of the, not just the world, the universe? In Matthew it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. It's an everlasting kingdom. It's the fulfillment of Second Samuel chapter 7. God building David a house. And we said, we said it earlier. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old. Wow. See, Jesus existed before he was born. Whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. He's the beginning and the ending. He's the Alpha and Omega. At long last, the one who the whole of the Old Testament speaks of, the Savior, the the Rescuer, the ultimate Superman we saw when we did John. His name is Jesus. But he's also called Emmanuel. We sang it. You know what I'm saying? Emmanuel. 
which means what? God with us. God, imagine, God reveals himself literally. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus is the express image of God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God's got to say? Listen to Jesus. He's the express image of God. Come in, Jesus coming as a second member of the Trinity. God the Son, the Word made flesh. Remember John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 12 of our text. And this will be a sign for you. He says, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This is the angel speaking to the shepherds. Shepherds, imagine. And suddenly there was, an, there was with the angel, if that weren't enough, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And I'm not surprised. You know what I'm saying? They're like, they know what's going on. The shepherd, poor shepherds are trying to like, they, they ain't got it really fully. But the, the, the angels can't even contain it now. And they start praising God for this wonderful fulfillment of this amazing promise and they're praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace peace among those with whom God is pleased that he is pleased notice it's not really peace for everyone Um, the peace is extended but we know that not everyone's going to receive God's peace Angels, you've got the angel that's speaking, and you've got all of these angels, whole host of angels. I mentioned this on Sunday. There was a cherubim. Do you remember? It was the first cherubim we see in the Bible in Genesis. Where? In the garden. Harriet weren't even here. You're a rude boy, Harry. Oh, oh Emmanuel said it. Oh, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Yeah, the cherubim at the garden when Adam and Eve were ejected. Standing there with a flaming sword, right? Preventing anyone from re-entering in the garden. An angel. There were angels embroidered on the material of the curtain of the tabernacle. And you fast forward, there were angels carved and chiseled into the, into the stonework of the temple. Angels. There were cherubim, there were angels kneeling on the actual Ark of the Covenant where their wings touched together opposite one another on the end the two ends of the, the Ark of the Covenant. Angels. And it's funny because the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the glory or the Shekinah, the Shekinah, you know what I'm saying? Where the glory of God was manifested. Yet here in an unexpected place, not in the temple, we see angels. Not figuratively, but literally. Unexpectedly. The shepherds were stunned. Yet respond to the message and head over to the city of David, to Bethlehem, which is not far. It's just down the road, right? Because they're in the region of verse 15. It says, And when, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, hmm, it's, it's really interesting what they say. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. See, they, 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 what they heard was mixed with faith. I'm saying, and they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger in a, in a feeding, animal feeding trough. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So they begin to talk about their experience, right? Incidentally, the shepherds now become witnesses, if you like, 
to what they experienced and they heard. I mean, this is good news, right? The shepherds actually unexpectedly, they begin to do the, the very job that the priests were responsible for. For centuries. I wonder if you know what I mean. What is the message that they begin to herald? We saw it back in verse 10, 11, and 14. Good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the news. Glory to God in the highest. And notice, and on earth, what? I mentioned it four times, I think. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, why do I say they're doing the work of the priest? This is what the priests used to declare over God's people. And from time to time, you hear myself, Pastor E, will, will say that in the benediction. It's number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You know what I'm saying? May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and, be, and, 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 and lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Peace. It's the priest that's supposed to be doing that. Now, you've got the shepherds out there doing it. Shepherds are acting like priests, but why not? This is the introductory transition where all God's people, like Moses had desired, all God's people become priests who intercede on the behalf of the people and so on. Here we have the shepherds also proclaiming the good news, the gospel. Look at verse 18 through to 20. We're nearly done. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. People hear the gospel, they're always like, what? But Mary, verse 19, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. See, even Mary never fully understood. You know what I mean? But what she heard, she treasured. And it's funny, and in Proverbs it talks about us leaning, inclining our ear, giving attention to God's word. And you take it in. Sometimes you don't fully understand God's word. That's why we read, our, we read our Bible. You read the Bible, you read things. What does that mean? What does that mean? I ain't got a clue what that means. People ask you a question. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Five years in, then all of a sudden, bing, a light bulb goes off. You're like, what? Oh my gosh, shepherds and Jesus, he's a sheep. What? You know what I'm saying? Treasure, treasure these things up in your heart and ponder on them. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorified. The shepherds are gone, right? They're like, oh my gosh. They, got, they had experience. You can't take this away from them. They do it. They're like, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they'd heard and seen. Shepherds, you've got to get the impact of that. And I mean, God ain't impressed with that which seems impressive often. Glitz and glamour and, you know what I mean? If only we could grasp that. I don't grasp that because... I like the shine. And I get, you know what I'm saying? I get, I get mesmerized like, trust in me, trust in me. You know what I mean? Looking at that stuff. Um, where am I? Just wrapping up. They praise God. They glorified and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, can you see how this was now a pivotal turning point in all of human history? Everything now Everything now would be centered around Jesus and not the temple because Jesus is the new temple, John chapter 2. Everything would now be centered around Jesus and not the old priesthood. Jesus is not only the priest, but he's the chief priest. He's actually the great high priest. It's not centered on the temple and the priesthood. No, it's centered on Jesus. 
Everything is centered now on him. No more substandard kings like Saul or like David or like Solomon or even Herod who's on the quote-unquote throne currently in the text. But a new king. And Jesus is the king. He's not just king, he's the king of kings. And it's synonymous with the anointed one, Psalm 2. You know the word Christ means the anointed one, which is synonymous with the king. And he is the savior, the one who would save his people from their sins. He's the lamb of God, the baby that was born to ultimately die. And that on a cross. And right here, where it all quote-unquote begins, it doesn't begin here, but you know, we see a new beginning. God reveals himself in an unusual way, and the glory of God now being seen and experienced outside the realms of that which was traditional, we have the unexpected presence of God. Another angle on a Christmas story, amen? The one true story. Can I pray? Father, thank you for this great insight. And it's funny because we look at the story. The story, in one sense, is not very great. You'd be like, wow, God, why didn't you just reveal yourself? You could have revealed yourself to the whole world at one point. I mean, they never had no satellite, no sky TV. But yet, Lord, like BBC News, you could have covered the whole globe with this news. But you chose not to. You chose to reveal it to a handful of people who would then set that pattern of sharing that good news with others. And Lord, 2,000 years down the road, nothing's changed in the sense that you desire those who you speak to, those who have ears to hear, those who you've chosen by your grace to save, to set apart, those who you would whisper the secrets of the universe Stuff that only angels get the privilege to, uh, to see and, and even not fully understand. First Peter 1. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for helping us to see what the celebration of Christmas really is about. And Father, would you, you know, it's like it's Christmas Eve. Like tomorrow's Christmas, Lord, and it's food and Lord, it's presents and a lot of hullabaloo, and Lord, I can't, I can't lie, I love it. Lord, we love it. Um, there's parts of it that are, are difficult and challenging, even f- especially for those who are on their own and maybe not with family. And, and, and yet, Lord, this is a, such a great encouraging story because, Lord, you're the God who meets with the disenfranchised, those who are sidelined, those who are lonely, those who people would never normally give attention to. You're that God. And we're so grateful. Um, and we're so grateful that you sent Jesus in order that he might be the Lamb of God. And Lord, may this small insight, Lord, into the one true story be a blessing to us this Christmas. And it's in Jesus' name and for his sake I pray. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.